Mountain West Country, I am. Uh, two great uh, games, Laramie and Fort Collins later, and I am back in Chicago, back in the Midwest, uh, and back locking into the full college basketball slate. But Brad, b- b- before we start this show, I have a very, very important question to ask you. Do you ever plan to go to the state of Wyoming in your life? Well, see, here's the thing, because I, I'm, I'm not good with geography outside of Rhode Island geography. Uh, even even Massachusetts, I've, I've, I've lived here for four years. I'm still not good with the Massachusetts geography. But whenever anyone would talk about Laramie, Wyoming, it was always with like this kind of mystical remoteness, right? It was like in like Harry Potter where they have to hit the bricks with 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 their wand in order to make this the secret passageway. <laughs> so that's that's what I expected Laramie. So when you told me last week you were going flying into Denver, then I'm going to Colorado State, I'm going up to Wyoming. I thought the drive from Colorado State to Wyoming was going to be something like epic, like a, a 10-hour trek uphill <laughs> both ways. But it was only an hour from Colorado State. Yeah. It was like an hour 15. Um Right. It was definitely like through the mountains and on the drive back to northern Colorado that night after the Wyoming game is like pitch black and it's like so swells. You can't see anything in front of you. It was like nuts. But no, it's it's it is not that hard to get to Laramie. It's like a two and a half hour drive from Denver Airport. But I still don't think you have any uh, any immediate plans to, to head to Wyoming, do you, Brad? Well, I mean, sell me on it. You know, but besides some some great Mountain West basketball, why else would I be out there? Uh, I mean, do, do you like hiking? Hiking is in walking for a couple hours and then going to get lunch after. <laughs> well, when I was in Wyoming in 2018, uh, in Jackson near Grand Teton National Park, I uh, did a 20 mile hike that took six hours, seven hours, and then we got pizza at the end. And that was exciting. So. But love love Jackson. Jackson's great. Laramie's great. Great cool little college town. Fort Collins is an awesome college town. I mean, I'm I'm so glad I went out. He's great. Two awesome basketball games. Brad, I don't know if you watched either of them, um, but they were I mean just really really high level, like competitive talent on every team, like a you know true like superstars I think on every team except for I guess maybe Boise depending on how you classify Hijab. The defenses are really really good. The atmospheres were really really good. Like it was, it was everything you want in college basketball, just, you know, at a, at a Mountain West school instead of a, a big 10 or, you know, I, I think Mountain West atmospheres are better than Pac-12 atmospheres. Like take out Arizona and UCLA when it's rocking, which it doesn't always rock. Give me Mountain West all day. Atmosphere wise, I mean, the pit Laramie, the spectrum at Utah state is always a good atmosphere. Um, Moby gets crazy. Barren right now. Huh? The Fresno looks pretty barren right Fresno now. Fresno is probably the worst in the league other than Air Force, yeah. They're like 32nd in the in in the T rank, you know. They, the fans got to come out. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the people of Fresno, California, are sitting around every day, more every, every morning, refreshing T rank. Like, oh man, look at us. You never know. I mean, the, the people in uh, Lubbock, Texas, are, are are super into college basketball. Yeah, but who knows about Fresno, California? Do, 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 no, the people, I, I, do the people of Lubbock trust T rank? Depends where they have Texas Tech rank, as all fan bases. Um, no, but I, I watched Colorado State, San Diego State. I was telling you before the show, it, I shut it off at 45-28. Colorado State was up. <laughs> Why were they wearing orange jerseys? Uh, so Colorado State University used to be Colorado A&M. And Colorado A&M was the Aggies and they had orange colors. So the whole state, so every year they do an orange out game where they wear jerseys that say Aggies on them, and they wear, you know, they, they wear orange jerseys, and the fans all wear orange. It's the whole thing. So then I watched that, but I, I did not watch the Wyoming. Uh, Boise. Boise. Was that, was that even televised? It was on the stadium. You could have watched our boy Brian Burton on the call. The last time there was a game on stadium, it was San Francisco and St. Mary's, I think. I was trying to watch it on the internet, but it said I needed to be a TV station for stadium. So I was all confused. They were trying to get me to watch the women's game. Um, but, no dice. Um, maybe someone needs to tweet the link, because with Loyola San Francisco, I, you know, someone tweeted the link, I clicked it and watched it. I, I tweeted the link, Brad. That was you. Well, yeah. thank you for your service. Yes, I have to have you happy, happy to help. Um, but no, let, I mean, before we get into the rest of the college basketball slate, 
Uh, we could just kind of touch on those two games, right? Like, so Colorado State, Brad, I mean, I thought looked really, really good. I, I the, the knock on them up until that game was, were they tough enough defensively to win in these grinder games in Mountain West? And they were really, really good defensively against San Diego State for the first 30, 32 minutes. And then San Diego State just kind of used its athleticism, obviously, when, you know, when you turn it off because of blood, they just kind of use their athleticism and their length to make things happen and get on the offensive glass and uh, chipped away, got out to 10 at like the, you know, with like three minutes left. And then Colorado State puts back in Kendall Moore, the senior combo guard who had tweaked his ankle earlier in the game. And he turns it over twice back-to-back possessions. And on those back-to-back possessions, they each they give up and ones back-to-back. And all of a sudden, it's a four-point game. Then it's a two-point game. Then San Diego State gets like, what looked like they got fouled. Uh, Matt Bradley driving. But the ball just kind of s- sneaks out uh, baseline to Kishad Johnson, who throws it out top to Belt- Butler, who hits the three. And all of a sudden, Colorado State's losing. They're up by 20 with 10 minutes to go. Roddy goes down the court. Gets gets trailing Stevens gets the th- gets the the, the mid range jumper, uh, and then final play was mayhem and couldn't close. But it was just I mean, it, it is so fun, Brad, when college basketball games in the final minute are just like no stoppages, just up and down, up and down playing. And that was how it was. It was so it was such like a emotional roller coaster. You didn't have the uh, the timeouts to to compose yourself. Yeah, I mean they're. There are times when I'm watching games where it's like, okay, one team's up by three. Uh, they have the ball. The other team fouls. There's 40 seconds left, and I'll just switch to the next game. Like, like I'm not doing the fouls. Um, but speaking of San Diego State, which yes. I, I do not think is going to make the tournament. I agree with that. B- because of this, right? On T-Rank, they have the number one defense in all of T-Rank. They are 281st in offense. Jesus. Which is... Like that's that's way worse than a VCU last year or this year, whenever they had that crazy, crazy split. Um, and, and and when you're that low in offense, you can just lose to anyone at at, at any time. Uh, we, we saw they they snuck past Nevada today. I I, I didn't watch that game, um, but be, being 281st in offense means you know there are games where you're going to score 37 against Boise. You're going to you know barely break 50 <laughs> in, in a lot of games and uh, it's too easy in a league like the Mountain West, where they're where it's it's as strong as it's ever been, but it's still half the league is is a minefield. You know, it's it's too easy to uh, trip up for a team that is sitting square on, on the bubble currently. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I also just think like the lack of a shot maker in the backcourt, like a creator. I, I I just don't know. I just don't know how you win. Like and be a tournament level team when your guards are Lamont Butler, Trey Pulliam, and Adam Seco. Like I just like someone explain to me how that wins. No, but I I mean, kind of a, a meta take here. You're looking at a lot of rosters and you're saying, oh, next year they they have to hit the portal and get a good player at X position. And I'm telling you now, the game of musical chairs. There are not going to be enough people, enough impact players for all the teams that need impact players. Um, and it's going to be even crazier in a couple of years when when these fifth year guys can't can't stay the extra year. Um, the transfer portal is going to dry up considerably. Schools are going to have to like develop players again. Crazy. I know, but because like just like think about you know. Providence needs three transfers. We're saying Creighton needs one or two transfers. UNC people are saying they got to hit the portal hard next year. You know, it, they're like every team, uh, you know, needs something in the portal and uh, something's got to give. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I, I think San Diego State is good. I just don't know that they're good enough to dance. I will say their schedule is relatively so. So they have three road games at Fresno, at Boise, and at Wyoming. That will all be Q1, almost guaranteed. So you go 2-1 and one in those games, pick off Utah State at home, and don't do anything stupid, and you're going to go dancing. But, like, you know, are they going to be able to do that? I don't know. Their offense is really shaky, really inconsistent. 
really doesn't do anything in, in the flow of, of its, its offense. And, you know, even the teams that, you know, they don't do it. They do, don't do it pretty. Like why nothing, there's nothing really pretty about Wyoming's offense. Um, I've really watched them. I've been trying to watch them a lot. And then obviously saw them in Boise. Like they literally just back you down. Well, not on EK, they just throw the ball and like post up, post up, post up. Uh, and it's such like throwback basketball. I mean, we're literally podcasting as Wyoming plays Fresno. And as I'm saying, this hundred mile out, I was posting up in the, you know, dribbling into a post up, dribbling into a post up, dribbling into a post up. EK uh, loves dribbling into the post. Oh my gosh. But they're hard to guard. Like, how do you guard them? Because they surround them with shooters. Uh, those two individual players, like you can't, you can't really guard one-on-one. Um, we were we were trying to think of a good comp for for EK the other day. Haven't come up with a great one. I'm thinking a little Julius Randall. A little college Julius Randall. Yeah, I agree with that. Mount Mountain West Julius Randall. Not, yes. Not, not not NBA Julius Randall type. Col- yeah, co- Kentucky Julius Randall. Same style, kind of. Yes. No, I agree with that. He's a good player. It really is. He is. And the the ball is really moving tonight. They're they're finding shooters. And they're they're a good team. I, I was well. I'm willing to entertain the idea that they're the best team in the league. I still think it's probably Colorado State, but I could, I would very much entertain the idea that Wyoming's the best team in the Mountain West. And they're they're definitely going to get three bids. It seems like at least yeah. San Diego State. I don't think that they're going to get there. But then you have the whole possibility in, in the Mountain West tournament with, with you know Utah State and Fresno State have have the predictive metrics where. They're just as good, if not better, than the other teams, according to the Ken Bombs and the T-Ranks of the world. So they can they can win the three games and and get the auto bid. I mean, Wyoming's approaching lock status. They can win this one as we we record. So we'll, we'll update you by the end of the show if, if they have another Q1. I mean, they would be they'd be getting close. And you know, why why did the Mountain West ever move, move away from uh, having their their tournament as a standalone tournament the the week prior? Well, the WCC is, though, now I think. The WCC isn't ending on that Tuesday anymore? No, it does. It's that, that opening weekend. Right, but the, the, I, see, I think I, it was I, I probably the, week, the year that Corona cut us short. I think the Mount West ended on that Saturday. Like, like, like the Saturday that the, the Ohio Valley ends. Started off. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I mean, it's just like it's just like high level basketball league. Like the coaches are really, really good. The atmospheres are really, really good. The players are talented, right? Like you would take Malmano and EK at any high major. You would take Dave Roddy and Isaiah Stevens at any high major. I, take, I absolutely would take Roddy Maldonado like in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, anywhere like Duke, like David Roddy can play at Duke. He's, he's really, really scary as a small ball five. He might be. I mean, I think he's an NBA player. Possibly. But how anyway. how was the the attendance at Wyoming? Was it was it strong? I mean, it's a, it's a much larger gym than what Colorado State has, so they they didn't fill it. But they had like a lot of good student turnout. Uh, pretty strong. It's probably like seventy percent full. Hmm. Good stuff. It was like their first time getting 7,000 fans at back-to-back games since like the Larry Nance season. That was a great year. That was a great year. They, they, they lost Seth, to Northern Iowa in yeah, Seth Tuttle. There you go. Anyway, uh, shall we get into the rest of a what was a very busy week in college basketball? We did do the Tuesday games already because we recorded on Tuesday night. So really just mostly a Saturday recap. I was exhausted all week. I don't I don't know if it was from the late night podcast or from that Providence St. John's game wearing me out, but I would I didn't I didn't make it to to eleven o'clock a couple of nights, Soft. including including last night I, I I I did not watch the end of UCLA Arizona State. I was watching the Zags beat the crap out of BYU, and then I oh oh the other game's pretty close on ESPN too, and I said you know what forget it. I'm going to bed. Missed a barn burner. Well, and San Francisco nearly got popped by Portland. These minefields. Xavier just tripped on a minefield yesterday. It looked horrible against Paul. Lifeless. I mean, Portland, I will I will give credit. Portland is so much improved this year in year one under Shante. 
that shouldn't surprise anyone, but like they're playing everyone competitive. They're they're up to two twenty five in Ken Palm, which uh, they were three twenty one last year, and they might they're probably gonna wind up around two hundred because they've risen a bunch in the last two weeks. Like shit, they played they played St. Mary's close for thirty minutes. They played San Francisco to three points. They beat Pacific and Pepperdine. They went to overtime against San Diego. Like ton of credit, ton of credit. Uh, but anyway, um, just so one but, thing on yes. on uh, Portland. I was looking through my my coaching grades the other day. Yes. And uh, Shante got one of the few A's. And A pluses, yeah. That I don't remember if I gave him an A or an A plus, but I gave the A plus. It's... They have a, they have a, they have a kid who's a walk on from from uh, a Northeast prep school who's like really good apparently. Chica and Duca. I think Portland got to hire a coach with NCAA tournament experience who almost pulled off an upset. And like UNC and a bunch of these in Minnesota are like settling for assistance. Uh, let's see, where did I have Portland? Oh, I, I gave Shante an A plus. Yes, earned A plus for Shante. I gave Shante an A plus. Friend of the I, friend of the podcast. Friend I gave Shaka Smart an A plus. That was that was that was strong. I didn't love Shaka as much. I regret that. I think those were the only two A pluses that I see, mm-hmm. and, then, and then there were a couple A's. Oh no, uh, Chris Beard in A plus too. Those those are the three A pluses. That's been f- okay. Um, yeah, it's still a great hire regardless. Like, you know, there's no one else you could have conceivably hired that's better than Chris Beard. I mean, he made a championship game. He recruits like crazy, and I mean, they're top 15 in T rank right now, and. They've only played one game versus the top three of Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. That was the other, the, the other night against Texas Tech. So they have a big litmus test game, I believe, tomorrow against Kansas at 9 o'clock. Um, and then we'll see if they can make any headway. I mean, Kansas is not un- unbeatable by, by any stretch. I think we'd all take Kansas over Texas. But you know, Baylor is looking vulnerable as well. So we'll see if they can carve out some, some wins against the top of the schedule. Let's actually start our Saturday conversation uh, with Kansas Baylor because, I mean, I think a lot of people left Kansas for dead after the Kentucky game. I mean, I was underwhelmed, right? I mean, we, we talked about it last week. The, the talent level didn't feel that high. It's kind of just scrapping along. And, you know, you lose that game the way they lost it and they had struggled with Texas tech at home and they had struggled with Kansas state. It was like, is this team actually any good? Um, and they turn around, they win at Hilton. Obviously I, I think Iowa state is full on regression mode uh, and, and might, might even teeter into shock of smart, uh, shock of smart rule, Archie really rule territory. But they, but they had an undefeated non-con. Right. It's going to be hard to, but if they, go, was cooked. if they go six and 12 in the league, are they getting the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. At six and twelve in the league, yes. The optics of that will be very tough. Oklahoma was the one that if, cooked. I had tweeted out there. West, yeah, West Virginia is cooked too. West West Virginia's schedule is a little easier. I don't think that they're going to win against that schedule. Mm-hmm. But Oklahoma's next five games: Texas Tech, at Kansas, Texas, at Iowa State, and at Texas Tech. Yeah. So I they mean, lose all five. They'll be thirteen and fifteen overall. Yeah, I don't think they'll lose all five, but yeah, I mean, they're going to be 500. But I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. Like, the, the optics of the the optics of six and 12 Iowa state going to the NCAA tournament and 19 and one Iona not would be really, really bad. Because right, Iowa state and the non con, they beat, I believe Iowa, they definitely beat Xavier. They beat Iowa, Xavier, Memphis on uh, Creighton and Creighton. Creighton on the road, Xavier Memphis yeah. on neutral. No, I mean the resume is good. It's yeah. really good, but it's just hard. Like, like are you going to put a team that goes six and twelve in the league in the NCAA tournament? I, I I don't think you will. So like they have to get the seven. Got to get seven. Got to get seven. Um. Well, so Arizona State, the the great non-con performance of all time, where they won at Kansas, they went I think like eight and ten in, in a bad Pac-12 and still made it. Now I get what you're saying yes. about the the optics of the record, but the Big Twelve is so strong. Yeah, but eight and ten is different, right? Like eight and ten, we see that all the time. 
Seven and eleven, we've even seen. We've never seen six and twelve as an at large. Well, TCU could also be seven eleven or six and but twelve as well. Again, seven yeah. and twelve, seven eleven, I'm fine with. It's six and twelve. That's the problem. It's that one more game is. is if you if you win thirty three percent of your games in the conference, you should make, you shouldn't be able to play in the NCAA tournament. Okay, well, a lot of a lot of Big Twelve teams are in trouble. Yes. Either way, unless Kansas, Baylor, and Texas Tech are ready to give up some more equity. Um, I was going to say something, but I forgot. But we were talking about Kansas, right? And and, and their bounce back win at Iowa State and then blowing out Baylor. Obviously, Baylor was a little shorthanded. Kendra put awful. But is this a we should believe again in Kansas? Is this a alarm bells for Baylor? Like, wh- where where do we stand right now? I think I'm more alarm bells for, for Baylor because, you know, at a one point we were thinking about them as this clear-cut number one team. Their defense was suffocating. They were having great great guard play, and, you know, they were, they were missing L.J. Cryer. Um, and that was Flagler's first game back, and they'll have plenty of time to try to get all the pieces back together. But, you know, Kansas isn't overwhelmingly talented, but they do have two, two NBA players. They do have some good older players. I think both teams are looking like two seeds right now um, in terms of resume and in terms of talent. And, you know, that that doesn't make you a title favorite like we thought earlier in the year for Baylor. And, you know, Kansas was my preseason number two team. Uh, but I think bo- bo- both teams are, are still in a very good spot to stay in the top ten and, 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 and you know, maybe win the league. I'm a little concerned – about Baylor, I mean, I, I think we've talked about the guards, and I've, I've kind of consistently said, you know, I don't, I don't think that Baylor has good enough guards. Like, I'm not an Akinjo guy. I never will be. I, I, don't, I just don't think he's a good enough decision maker to be like a lead guard on a championship team. But I'm as concerned as anything about the fact that their defense has not played very well lately. I mean, the last three games they've given up 1.1 points per possession or more in all three, and big. In Big 12 play, if you just sort it back from December or January 1st on, they're the 46th best defense in the country per T-rank. So there's been some like real regression defensively for them from what you normally expect. So if you add that with the fact that you don't have an NBA player point of guard, you're, you know, again, Cryer's important to them. He's so much better than Dale Bonner. But I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about Baylor. And again, I, Maybe it's just because I'm down on Kansas, really. Like, I, I don't know what to make of it. Maybe I'm just wrong, and Kansas is a top-five team, and Baylor got kind of pumped early and, you know, couldn't recover. But I'm, like, really concerned right now that Baylor doesn't quite have the secret sauce. I mean, they they certainly do not look the same as when they knocked the crap out of Villanova. I, I thought they're... You know, the West Virginia game, they're they're missing Flagler and Cryer. This game, they were just missing Cryer, but their their offensive pop wasn't there, and that same kind of defensive edge wasn't there. And I think, you know, Matthew Meyer didn't take the jump that we really anticipated. Um, and then Sohan has kind of come back to earth a bit, it seems. I I haven't looked at his his stats or anything in, in like the past month or so, but just kind of anecdotally, it seems like kind of taking a step back but um just the thing that i forgot i i forgot to mention earlier was i know that the, the, the bracketologists are gonna be yelling at their phones that conference record isn't on the team sheets which is true but i mean the committee can still know their conference record i was gonna say yeah they Come can on. they can use whatever criteria they want it was, it was very funny earlier when jerry palm put out like this bracket oh q a and he was like all wrong. <laughs> the people were like, "Look, see, Ken Palm doesn't matter." And then David Warlock from the NCAA comes over the top with, "No, it, it's wrong. on the team sheet, so they they can look at it." And like we've said a million times with these NCAA tournament uh, selection stuff, the uh, committee can use anything they want to justify whatever they want. You know, they can work backwards with the, "Okay, why why'd you put this team in?" Oh, because they have a great road record. Well, this team had a better road record, and they were left out. Yeah, but that team doesn't have as much quadrant 
quadrant one wins. Well, well, this other team has more quadrant one wins. Oh, no, their net stinks. And, and you can just do that in circles with all these different metrics and notes on the team sheets. Yeah, I was I was howling when. Yeah, yeah actually, your, your net doesn't matter and neither does Ken Palm. Sorry, Jerry, you're wrong. Oop, I stand corrected. The everyone needs to stop reading Jerry Palm. I mean, he's he's so bad, but it's because he finds like these incredibly obscure precedents and then just like rides them like like they're gospel. Like there was right. a whole the whole one uh, about Rutgers the year that the tournament got canceled. Where like no team has ever won fewer than two road games and made it. Uh, that that one seemed reasonable, but then he has all these other ones like. Since 1992, no team has ever lost three straight games on a Thursday and ended up with a six seed or better. Like he, he's like trying to find all these like obscure patterns where you just gotta stick to the net and quadrant one and a, you know cut, a, lean on a couple of metrics. You do not need to read Jerry Palm's work. Like no one, no one is forcing you to read Jerry Palm's bracket just because it's at CBS. Like, there are so many better bracketologists, like Lucas Harkins, Rocco, Warner. There's way, ma- they, way more. Just Brackville Dave. Yeah, I mean, Andy Bottoms. Like, go in the Matrix. It's all right there. I mean, shit. I'm by far not the best bracketologist out there. I am confident I will do better than Jerry Palm again. So. Warner has it right. He, he's he's doing it every day. He puts it on the morning. I I I get to work. It's like a half hour of work. Then I go on Twitter. I see his bracketology. I click it. Scroll through for a few minutes. That's the move. Can't be doing weekly bracketology. I need every day. It would be easier for me if I did if I did daily bracketology. I guess the the only issue with that is you kind of lose like the forest for the trees. Where like. You're just moving teams up and down, and you're not like right. recalibrating based on now yeah. who fell out and into quadrant one. You almost uh, have to like shred it every week yeah. and restart. Exactly. But anyway, um, enough on Kansas and Baylor and Jerry Palm and the Big 12. Um, Carolina Duke was the second of three big games, the three like triple header that ESPN had. Um, it was never particularly close. And I think there was a lot of kind of excitement about Carolina. It, it, it was, again, it was, I felt this way about Carolina every single time this season is they play a few games in a row where they play well. And you're like, okay, here they go. They're, they're turning the corner. You know, they're, they're, maybe they're better defensively. Maybe they've kind of figured out how, how like love and Davis are going to coexist. Maybe they're playing hard again. Like, okay, like here, here it comes. And then they just play like a complete stinker, like a complete stinker. Right, I mean that was the that was the Notre Dame game in early January. Right, they had the two good wins. Um, after the Kentucky debacle, they played, you know, they played, they were playing well, and they give up, you know, one point one points per possession to Notre Dame, which is awful defensively. And then win two games in blowout fashion against Virginia and Georgia Tech, and then get blown out by Miami and Wake Forest on the road, and they're two like big opportunities to to kind of fix it. Okay, Everett's out of North Carolina. Let's win four in a row. They do that. They head into Duke, and they get housed again. It, it, it makes for such weird metrics because they're winning so many blowouts and then getting blown out. And they still have no quadrant ones. Their only remaining chance at a quadrant one, um, it's possible Clemson could wind up being a quadrant one road win. Um, and Virginia Tech will potentially be a quadrant one road game. And then Duke. I'm like Those are the chances. So... They, like, there's a very real chance where North Carolina has like top 40-ish metrics and no quadrant one wins, and they're basically just uh, they're basically just a mid-major resume-wise. But um, like, where's your concern level with Carolina? Is, is, did you kind of see the game as more of the same? Was it impressive for Duke? Like, what was what was your takeaway from a lopsided rivalry game? I mean, you got to be concerned about UNC. You know, with this talent level and, you know, as as you said, how they've been pretty lights out against the non-tournament teams, you figure, you know, every opportunity that they get, you figure this is the one where they're finally going to break through and it's going to click, and it just hasn't happened. And, you know, Dawson Garcia's out. He He's not been very good this year, even when he's been in there. 
Um, and there just seems to be a lack of cohesion. Their, their bench, which in the preseason looked like it would be solid, uh, it's not very strong at all. Kerwin Walton's taking a step back. The uh, Brady Manic ad looked like a nice bench piece, but now he's, he's a starter and he, he, way too much Brady Manic. You know, Justin McCoy was someone when they took him, you were like, this is kind of a bad get, but at the same time, they probably just want his like toughness and versatility in defense, maybe small ball five. Uh, he hasn't really made an impact, it doesn't seem. Um, and then, kind of, there there are younger guys who haven't done much either. So, um, Caleb Love was awful in this game, unplayably bad. Yeah, he was someone who at one point this year looked like he was going to be an NBA pick, but he, he's he, he's come back to earth. Yeah. And so I, I think you know you got to fill the field, right? And you look at like Joe Lenardi's bracketology today. And his first four out had UAB and Washington State. And both those teams are very, very far from, from making it. And he had Oklahoma in, right? And, and San Diego State in. Right. There are these teams that, like, you think are going to fall off probably. Right. Because, still, yeah. that are still in the bracket. So UNC is going to have to play their way out. They, right. They're going to get every opportunity to, to stick. Right. And, you know, I've been, I, I, right, I think right, at the end of the, the day, opinion, they have screwed up. Sorry, what was that? I was just going to say, I've been of the opinion they have to screw something up. They have to lose a game at home they shouldn't lose. Right, and, and I'm I'm of the opinion that if they get to the end of the year, they still don't have a quadrant one, just throw them in the first four. Yeah. I agree with that. Because they haven't been anything stupid. You know, no no bad losses. You mentioned that's pretty much just like a good mid-major resume. Uh, throw them in the first four. Make them, if, make them play the way in. If North Carolina had... Like, if North Carolina and Iona switched names on their resumes, people would be like, this is ridiculous that they're not going to give this team that large. You know, <laughs> they, they, they've played all these good teams. They've, they've been competitive in, in a lot of them. They haven't, you know, they, they just don't have the big win, but they're, like, so good, and they blow out all the other teams in the hundreds, and that's really hard to do, and look at the WAB and, you know, whatever. But, um, no, I mean, yeah, it was concerning for Carolina. Um, particularly because I thought you'd, you'd see a better effort, a better energy in a, in a game like this, a rivalry like this. But I will say, I mean, Duke, especially these last two games, I watched all 80 minutes of their last two ball games. I saw the Notre Dame game in person and then was watching Duke Carolina yesterday. Like, Duke is becoming a monster on the defense. AJ Griffin has taken the leap. Oh, I mean, right. So, so Griffin offensively is huge for them because it makes them way less reliant on more. But defensively, like shit like like williams is so sturdy like armando baycott looked weak in there because he he he, he had no base compared to williams Williams has like a such a strong base um you know griffin is gigantic bencaro is 610 and built like an nba player moore has great positional size trevor keels has great positional size jeremy roach starting to play a little better he's been a pest on defense and it, you know it, it has been much better as a point guard lately like if they're going to guard like this and they're going to have Griffin and Bencaro and more scoring the ball and high level glue guys like Keels, Mark Williams, Theo John, like I'm telling you, that's like a national title level team. Absolutely. You know, Griffin's taking the step. That's, that's, that's been the biggest key, especially because him taking the step involves him shooting the crap out of the ball. Oh my God. And yeah, that, and that adds like so much spacing for all you know for for the uh, attack-minded guards they have and wings they have. More more space for for Paolo Bancaro. You don't need to play Joey Baker as much, and you know they they have terrific role allocation. And and for a team that only has like literally ten guys, they're pretty deep because they can put out seven starting caliber players. Right. I wish they had one more good player even if he wasn't as good as like Theo John like better than Bates Jones basically but it's coach, minor like coach K one, one has to make many decisions there's there's, there's one decision he has to make yeah and he's two he basically which center does he want to play and uh, does he want Roach or Keels on the floor which is probably Mark Williams unless he's in foul trouble but. agree Yes. I, I mean, no one, no one likes Theo John more than me. But. Oh yeah, you're, 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 you're the man. You're, the, you're the Theo John. 
You're Theo John's most ardent supporter at this point. Theo John pulled like the uh, David West for like he still had a, t- a ton in the tank, but he signed up to play ten minutes a game for the Warriors. <laughs> so Duke now nine and two in the league. Notre Dame at nine and three, but Duke is a head-to-head road win. Miami now has four losses after uh, dropping two games this past week to Notre Dame, and Virginia. So, I saw that uh, Virginia game coming a mile away too, and, oh yeah. and, and I watched a good chunk of this game. But you know, Miami has no size at all, and Kadeen Shedrick is now splitting time with our, our buddy uh, Francisco Cafaro. But but Shedrick, I I think is much better, and he's super athletic. He, he's a real difference maker. And then Virginia hit shots. Uh, Reese Beacon was uh, looking at the basket. Crazy. But I mean, at this point, right? Like Duke is like Duke is gonna win the ACC. Right, because even like Notre Dame looks good this weekend against NC State, and I think they played Miami earlier in, in the week. Is that true? That's correct. Right. They 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 looked really good in those games, but then you like think back and like Duke handled them. Well, the, the deal is that Duke has a game in the a game in the loss column on everyone else in the league, and I don't see anyone like ripping through the rest of it other than Duke. Agreed. So the Blue Devils have kind of righted the ship after starting four and two in the league. They've won now five straight, and it just are, it just feels like it feels like they're starting to the last two games really impose their will on games the way they did against Syracuse, against Clemson, against Louisville, against you know, Miami, right? Like, they let these teams hang around, hang around, hang around. Even, like, earlier in the year, like, Virginia Tech, like, I remember watching that game, I was like, why is Duke not just, like, burying these guys? Like, they stink. But they're starting to, I think, get their get their killer instinct. Well, you know, you, you said that you didn't think any other team could roll through the ACC, but don't, don't look now, but the Syracuse Orange are on fire. That's what I hear. Uh, their I, their resume is like toast though, right? Like there's no, no chance. It's, it's so I bad. Yeah. They, yeah, it's like, they have a home loss to Colgate. Shit metrics. Home loss to Colgate. Georgetown's awful. Yeah. 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 A, a road loss to Georgetown. They have a nice home win over Indiana. Um. Right. None of their wins really it. even mean anything. That's the problem. Like e- even their uh, conference wins, right? Their uh, conference wins are 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 Florida State on the road, which is fine, but they're all injured and, and they're going to tank. Home Pitt, home Clemson, home Wake at NC State, and home Louisville. So they are nowhere close. But, hey, if you win your your remaining eight regular season games, including a home game over Duke, and then win a couple in your conference tournament, maybe... I, I will maybe be so infuriated if I have to worry about Syracuse in the bubble again. I guess Swider started to play a little bit better. Uh, he he was brutal for most of the year, but I mean, Buddy and Gerard have also just been like a fireball lately. Yeah, Buddy against Wake Forest was absolutely incredible. Uh, so they uh, next week they have at Boston College and at Virginia Tech. So maybe the uh, Tech game will be I worth mean, look, watching. Like 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 what like let's they, they so Syracuse plays Duke on the 26th and Carolina at Carolina 28th and close Miami. Before that they have actually their final. Their next four are really easy. They have at BC, at VT, home BC, home Georgia Tech. They should win all of those, right? Yeah. There's, you know, there's no telling that they will because they literally, you know, they lost the pit by double digits and, you know, like they're not a good basketball team, but like they should theoretically win all four of those games and roll into a closing stretch of at Notre Dame, home Duke, at North Carolina, home Miami with a puncher's chance of like building a resume. The Tech game, the Virginia Tech game, could give them an issue because Tech has size up front, and then they have shooting in the backcourt, so they can really keep keep cues off the boards, and they can hammer the offensive glass themselves. Yeah. And then they have guys like Murphy and Hunter Couture and Aline, who should be able to get open looks against the zone, uh, because Syracuse's defense is very very bad. Um, and that's and that's how that's how Colgate beat, beat Cues that. They they had a little more size compared to other mid-major teams up front, and then they shot the crap out of the ball. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, what else happened on Saturday? Kentucky and Bama played a surprising grinder. Like both teams have been awesome offensively, and I watched kinda... that that whole game. That was not a fun watch. 
Were you impressed by Kentucky's defense? Absolutely. Yeah. And Collins was finally showing a pulse. He's going up, Blood grabbing energy. lobs. Yeah. But even Mintz made some nice plays. Wheeler was dicing the defense. Washington made some good plays. Big road win. Alabama Still have nothing. St- no idea to do what to do with Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. The, they're they're a weird team. I, I mean, Betty Yako's playing a lot more than I think either of us expected. They're really going with that true big. Um, Gurley hasn't been great. Gary's been hurt, and their guards that you know they just weren't weren't hitting shots. I just think they're they miss league. I just think they're a really dumb basketball team. Like I I don't think they have a single guy that's a high IQ player on the roster. They have a lot of shoot first guys too. Yeah. Like they miss Herb Jones so much. And obviously Herb's success in the NBA is a good indicator that you know he's special and wasn't just kind of a unique player notes the system. Like he is awesome. I mean, he's a great defender. He doesn't need the ball, but he can play with the ball. Like he is so perfect for what they did. And I think they definitely miss his ability to just, like, make plays, be smart, like, get downhill, keep the team together when they gamble. Like, Javon Quinterly and J.D. Davison. Like, I just don't see how you win, like, big games. Like, when shit matters. Like, I don't see how you win big games when the ball's going to be in the hands of Javon Quinterly and J.D. Davison. They're idiots. Finally, follow me on the Quinterly train. I mean, Quinterly's a good player, but he's dumb. Like, he makes bad decisions all the time. Shackleford, too, has, has not seen a shot he doesn't like. He was, you let him fly. No, he, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't do anything to, uh, I, I don't know that he's a, necessarily a winning player either. Yeah. He's just there vibing. Um, what else from yesterday that you wanted to get to, Brad? So Xavier was was lifeless against DePaul. I saw this. Yes. DePaul gave, and this was without without Freeman Liberty. Uh, David Jones and Jalen Terry were just going one on one, hitting these tough mid range pull ups, c- kind of built a lead. Uh, Xavier did not shoot the ball well from the perimeter. Scruggs missed a ton of free throws, two front end of one on ones. Um, Fremantle and Nunji were solid, but they were missing makeable shots and. When 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 you do that and the urgency is not really there, um, I mean they they got outplayed when they played DePaul in um, Chicago. Chicago. I was at that game. And 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 their their big issue right now is they're getting nothing from Nate Johnson. Uh, he was so good earlier. Yeah, he's in, the in a year. funk. He's in a funk. He had like thirty something points against Virginia Tech. He was great last year before getting hurt. Uh, and he, his injury was probably the reason why Xavier collapsed down the stretch. Uh, but the other reason might be just like a Travis Steele stench. Um, so, yeah, so Johnson wasn't hitting, and they were they were missing that outside shooting threat. And now they've become the fourth. This is the fourth instance that one of the top seven Big East has lost to the bottom four. Yep. What do you... What do you make of UConn and Xavier both just kind of stumbling along here? Like, they haven't had, like, a, a clear moment, like, uh-oh, the way that Seton Hall with like, a multiple-game stretch. But both teams just kind of feel underwhelming right now. Really, <laughs> like, like UConn seeds, has, like, has so much size that they're not going to lose to those bottom teams. Right. Um, but, yeah, against, against Villanova and against Creighton. You know, they they were not generating looks. I mean, in both games, you know, talk about the Providence luck. Uh, but in the Creighton game, doesn't didn't uh, Cockbrenner get get hurt and he, he was out down the stretch, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then against Villanova, Moore was out and Gillespie got got hurt and missed a big chunk of the game. Um, I, I I think it's just the fit. I, I think they have a lot of really good players, but 
Okuka Cook is not as good as expected. Jordan Hawkins isn't as good as expected right now. And then even though Andre Jackson has like this incredible shooting percentage, his shot mm-hmm. looks goofy and he's not really a shooter. It's kind of like a mirage. Um, so the, the fit between him, Cole and Martin, I think is a little, little suspect. So they're playing big. They don't have enough shooting. They don't have enough ball handling. Um, and, and, and that'll keep you in the top 25. You know, that'll have you take care of business. You know, I, I've, I've seen people suggest that UConn's not going to make the tournament, which, which I think is ridiculous. I think they're 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 definitely going to make it. They're not going to lose to every tournament caliber team that they play going forward. Um, but I I think that they're clearly r- right now a step behind Marquette, Nova, and, and Providence. So Brian Ralph wrote a pretty interesting thing over at Heat Check, basically saying that it's pretty obvious that. UConn's metrics really inflate how good they are because they've been so much better, like so, so so far better against teams that are Ken Palm 101 and worse versus top 100 teams. So they're five. This is before the Villanova game. So they're now, now you can have the Villanova, Villanova game with this. They're now five and six versus top 100 teams. Um, their offensive rating is under one point per possession. Their defensive rating is just kind of mediocre. It's like 96.3 per 100 possessions versus 81 in the non-con against these kind of weaker competition. Like when they play top 100 teams, they're pretty mediocre. They don't take care of the ball that well. They're a very good rebounding team, but they're not just like grabbing every single rebound the way that they were against, you know, Fairleigh Dickinson and Central Connecticut and whoever else, you know, whatever future, you know, Uber drivers they played. Um, you know, like at some point it's catching up and that's concerning. Uh, and I, 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 I kind of cross-checked that with, I went on Torvik and I did, how are they versus top 100 teams? Like do the, the, the sort based on that. Um, so y- if it's only in games against top 100 teams, UConn's the 48th best team in the country on Torvik. Now there's a few like outliers in there, right? Like, so Howard is 35th in the country against top 100 teams because they uh, beat Bradley, who's a very fringe top 100 team, I believe. Yeah. And uh, they played Villanova and Notre Dame relatively close. their top 100 teams. So, again, not like perfect, say, 48, they should be a bubble team. Like Monmouth has played three games during this mix. Uh, UC Davis played one game. They're in this mix, but the majority of them are the high majors and UConn being in the same kind of bracket as like a Oklahoma state, a Seton hall, a Memphis is, you know, a more, an indicator again, that maybe against good teams, this team is just okay. Well, I, you know, they're, they're playing two bigs and then a really big wing combo. That's, that's going to be a, a, a nightmare for bad teams and you know bigger teams can can kind of match up a little bit better size wise um and then you know they were they were missing guys against a lot of the good teams they played you know so no go miss time asterisk absolutely and you know how about uh that that uconn loss where they blew it at west virginia really come back to to bite the huskies Yes, they needed that game. Absolutely. Wonder who said that at the time. It's an atrocious loss. Whatever, you, whatever you called it. <laughs> um, what else? What else should we get to on on the games? I do want to close with a recruiting note, uh, but do we have other game analysis we want to get to? Trying to think what else we got. Nebraska got 30 piece by Northwestern at home. That was ugly. I saw that. Thank you for the net bump. Oh, my goodness. I mean, do you know Nebraska where, is where so your cats bad. are in the net? I do not know. Nebraska is so bad. Did you watch this game? I watched the first half and then I left. Like, they don't, they have. An atrocious defense. Their offense is the same problems that they've had 
know, there was a the sell in the preseason was you know they got they've got a lot more shooting theoretically, so they're gonna they're gonna start the floor better and they're gonna be more more like old Iowa State and it's just you know it's the same problems they're not efficient uh, everybody's got their own agenda McGowan's you know Bryce McGowan's there was a possession in this game where he had a wide open catch and shoot corner three and he turned it down to dribble into a post up and take a follow away jumper on Chase Audis that got blocked. And it's like, what in the world are you thinking? Like, like you have to be an idiot. Like, well, there, there is no like basketball justification for doing that other than like, you just think you're a hooper. Like every, every everyone on this team has their own agenda. They've now lost uh, remarkably. They, you know, they've lost 15 of their last 16 games. And their only win in that stretch was Kennesaw State. They do not have a high major win this year. Um, all in all, like they only have like six high major wins now in three years under Hoiberg. They have three Big Ten wins from last year uh, against Rutgers, Minnesota, and Penn State. Uh, and then in year one under Hoiberg, they beat uh, Washington State on a neutral court. Uh, and they beat Purdue and Iowa in the Big Ten. So they have they have six total high major wins in three seasons playing in a high major league. Like it's atrocious how bad they are. Like I, I get that Trey McGowan's got, got hurt early. But like they they built a pretty good roster. You know, this team should not be this bad. Yeah. No, they shouldn't uh, be this bad. I mean, I don't I, I, I would object to saying it's a good roster, but yeah, no. I mean, look, their their Ken Palm right now is worse than it was in year one under Hoiberg. Yeah, they're not a good like tournament team, but you have a potential first round pick in Bryce McGowan's. He stinks. Think think everyone has a mocked in like the thirties. I know, but he still stinks. I uh, really liked Wiltshire at, at at Xavier. He's he's shooting the ball. Well. I'm not sure how well he's playing. City but. Rocks, yeah. Walker was a sneaky under the radar pickup. It, w- it was the 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 uh, Verge one did them in. Yeah, replacing Delano Banton with Alonzo Verge. Early entry man. Early entry. No one can escape early entry. Um. Oh, so I, I think the uh, three candidates to join Chris Mack and Mark Turgeon and the screw this I'm 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 quitting right. Fred Hoiberg, Patrick Ewing. And Penny Hardaway, do you think any of them pull the trigger? I mean, I don't think any of them would quit during the season. Certainly not Penny. Quit after the season, you think? The uh, Chris Mullen? I think, yes, that feels possible at least. For all three, you think? Hoiberg, I don't know if Fred's about the money, but there's so much money out there that I think Fred has to stick. Like, he can't just – I mean, he could negotiate down. Like, if, if he could get Nebraska down to $8 million, if Nebraska would give him 8 would he leave? I don't know. I mean, it's just so toxic, right? Like, Penny and, – and actually, that that was the thing I wanted to bring up was Memphis. Um, they just lost Noah Bachelor, 2022 commit, IMG Academy, big-time kind of athletic shooter, 6'6". He's like top 150-ish. Yeah, he he's better than his ranking though. Like I saw the kid in person. That's a top thirty-five dude. Like he's he's an explosive athlete. Can handle the ball. Like has some feel and shoots the piss out of it. Like like sign me up. Um, and Penn and, and so his quote he gave a quote to Pittsburgh Sports Now. Uh, who I think because Pitt had recruited Noah Bachelor out of before he committed to Memphis. And his quote his quote was. One of the reasons was that there was just so much drama more than just basketball that I feel like was at the school. And then with the head coach, Coach Penny, he barely ever reached out to me. For me, it was really frustrating. My parents could see it too. So I really just felt it was best to just get out of there. He's looking for a program that where he can work well in the offense and they have options to let him play with pace and shoot the ball. But to openly say that you're decommitting because there just seems like there's too much drama and uh, to say that, you know, you're 
your head coach isn't calling you, that's going to be a rough look for Penny. That's how UConn lost uh, Makai Ashton Langford. Kevin Alley never went to see him play after he committed. And uh, Hamadou Diallo. Right? They no, it was, it was John Calipari flew up to oh, see yeah. Hamadou Diallo more than Kevin Alley went to Putnam. So, saw him down, you know, at uh, Putnam, Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. So, not not ideal. I mean, yeah, it's those those hires are all complete busts, and it makes you wonder. I mean, look, I mean, there's going to be name like NBA names in for potential jobs this year again, just because of the way that's the way the cycle is. Like, and I get Kenny Payne is very much in the college game and in that college world, but shit, I'd be, I, I mean, look, all these guys are the, the NBA guys in some form or fashion. Yeah, Ewing was a highly respected NBA assistant. Hoiberg was obviously after Iowa State was an NBA head coach. Penny, I don't think he was ever like an NBA assistant or anything. No, he was just like running the AU shit. And... Yeah. I think all 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 three of those guys are on screw this I quit watch. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. You know, I I've I've been spending some time over on, on the uh, Georgetown message board. Because I, I want to get a pulse because, you know, I, I go to a lot of message boards and the Georgetown fans are up there in terms of reasonability. Like they have a pretty good idea what's going on. You know, they're, they're, they're not over here um, saying like we should hire Eric Musselman for our next coach or you know, John, John Calipari or something. You know, just like reading through some stuff. I mean, everyone is like pouring out their soul with like page long responses uh, about you know how how Georgetown has, has wronged them over the past few years. Um, but yet they all seem for the most part ready to go in a different direction. Um, and yeah, I, I I'm surprised that they're not really bringing up high major coaches at all. A lot of them are just kind of floating like the local mid major names, but it's going to be interesting to see if uh, Ewing actually steps down, because I don't think they're going to fire him. I don't know if they can. Like, I don't know if they have the political capital. It's just so, like, the only thing they could have threatened Patrick Ewing's job this year was for him to, like, literally go 0-18 or 0-20. And, 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 like, they're not that bad. They're not 0-20 bad. Like, they can still pick somebody off. They can really shoot the ball. Don, really Donald Carey's a lights-out shooter. Aminu Muhammad is an NBA prospect. They're built like an A-10 team. Like They're like Butler. They're like a more athletic, worse coached Butler. And then, you know, someone on, on, on the message board was like, well, you know, if our fifth-year guys came back, we'd be a top 25 team too. And, you know, maybe you would, right? I, I mean, If they had Wahab, Jamarco Pickett, Javon Blair, and Shudier Belay. Yeah, top, and, and, and now Pickett made made the NBA, so we won't count him, but, like, if they're rolling out, say, Harris, Blair, Muhammad, Belay, and Wahab with Carey off the bench and, yeah. and, and Colin Holloway off the bench, you know, they they probably do make the NCAA tournament. But, like, that's that was earned, not given. Like, you got to recruit those guys back, and, like, you have to... He also didn't recruit a lot of those guys, right? Like, wasn't... Didn't he inherit Javon Blair? Probably. Just how how the timeline matches up, probably. He, he obviously recruited Belay, who was awesome last year. Yeah. Jamorco Pickett was like a late, t- t- signy, right? He flipped. Was he gonna, yes, he's yeah, gonna he was old Miss. Old Miss, exactly, and then flipped. Um, and then Wahab, I mean, talk about a lose-lose situation. Oh. He's not even doing well in Maryland, right? No. Whenever I watch Maryland... He's always on the bench, and the camera's always like panning to him, like, "Hey, who's Wahab's on in the game? They're going with Julian Reese." It's always on, like, who does Wahab watch? <laughs> One other uh, job that seems to be kind of meandering towards a finish. Uh, and there's plenty, but one that I think feels like worth mentioning after like a recent run is a uh, URI with David <laughs> Cox. Oh my God. <laughs> This, I mean, again, they started three and one in the league. They had, you know, beat BC twice, twice in on con, you know, 
had the one bad loss to Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, but like for the most part, like had an okay non-con. Started three one in the league, won the games kind of we're supposed to, and then it just has fallen off the rails. Home lost GW, home lost to Richmond. They blew a big lead in, lost at Dayton. They're competitive, then lose at Fordham this week, and lost at home by double digits to UMass on Saturday. Like this is year number four for David Cox. It's extension or fire time, and considering they're trending towards a you know bottom half a ten finish with. VCU, Davidson, and Dayton as their next three games. Like, you know, I I think you're gonna have to move on, right? And it's a good job. Obviously, they won. Is with, it a good job? Is it a good job? I don't. I don't think it's a good job. I mean, I think it's a decent job. I think you have it's decent facilities. You have a good fan base. Um, you can recruit. So, Decent so I, area. I, like, I lived in, in Rhode Island for 22 years. There are not many URI fans. But they're, I mean, they're, they're clearly out there. I mean, like they have, like they, their gym is decent. You know, like they, I think it's a fine job. I think, yeah. like, is it a good enough job to get Chris Mack or Archie Miller? I don't think so. But like, is it a good enough job for, you know, to, to hire right i mean dan hurley right like dan hurley was a you know the kind of the jared grosso except he was a hurley um and done a great job at wagner like you know i i think you could hire you know like you could swing at the high major assistants you could swing at archie you and hire jared grosso. you could hire jared grosso you could hire shaheen holloway you could hire carmen Massarello. You could hire Bashir Mason, who does he's done a really good job of Wagner, try to recreate the Wagner magic. I mean, I would imagine that URI fans would be kind of underwhelmed by that list, but those those are like those are winners, those are ball coaches, man. Like it, it was very funny though, because I was on the Georgetown message board, and they were like, you know, maybe John Becker, like he wins all the time, he's done X X Y and Z, and then I go to the uh, URI message board, they're floating candidates, like John Becker, eh, no way. <laughs> John Becker would be a good name there, yeah. Absolutely. If you're John Becker, I think you'd rather have URI than uh, UMass. I agree with that. URI is a better job than UMass, I think. Yeah. It's no, but close. things things are not going well. Um, I I saw the one of the local college basketball writers was putting out that like Brian and PC are doing so well because they're so old and experienced, and URI is so inexperienced. But, like your starting backcourt are fifth year seniors. Maybe even six-year seniors with uh, Ishmael Alamine and Jeremy Shepard. I mean, Leggett's played a lot of minutes. Martin Walker. You know, th- this is not a young team. This is this is an old team. So, so, so that that excuse really isn't flying. Their uh, talent is there. I mean, they're a little light on shooting, but the Mitchells have have been wildly in, inconsistent. They've struggled from the free throw line and whatnot, but they they've both been pretty good. Uh, this team just has no synergy, no no cohesion. They're getting a lot less than some of their parts. There's there's no reason why this group shouldn't be top 100. You know, coming fourth or fifth in the A10, um, and it, it it it's it's just really spiraling at this point. Yeah. The uh, also like just like the fact that they're going to be outside the top 100 in Ken Palm three out of the four years that Cox has a job. Like. It, like I, I was not on the fire Cox train before this latest spell where I think you kind of have to. Because yes. I was like, you know, they they had a pretty good team the year that Corona canceled the NCAA tournament. They they presumably could have won the A10. You know, you know they obviously Dayton was there and Dayton was by far the best team. But you were right with I think they was like number a, two that they year. They had a good NIT team. Maybe could have had an NCAA tournament. Season. Yeah, exactly. Um, last year they weren't great. But all these transfers come back for year two. We've seen all all around the country a lot of teams are having transfers excel in the year two. Guys who weren't necessarily great in year one, um, and they've gotten some of that. But it's just Jared Wynum. Absolutely, Ed, Ed Croswell, Alex O'Connell, R.J. Cole's been awesome. Uh, you know, you can go down the list. All, all the uh, Arizona guys. Um, but yeah, nothing. 
nothing is moving in the right direction here for URI. I think that they probably have to have to cut bait. Agree. Any uh, anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap the show? Huh, let's see. What else was there? Um, no, nothing. Nothing too crazy. Providence finally won by more than one possession. That was that was pretty cool. You enjoy that? Yeah, Jared Jared Bynum was on a heater. Thir- Thirty-two points. Cr- incredible shot making. Uh, um. down. Oh, oh, just a very random one-off. We were talking how Creighton needs a, a wing in the portal. I think Kerwin Walton would be a great realistic fit. Kerwin Walton's going to go to Minnesota. Well, Creighton is in his final group, too. I know he is a Minnesotan. Um, All these Minnesota guys are going to want to with Ben Johnson. I, I mean, Creighton playing next to, to, to Ryan Nemhard and uh, Trey Alexander's come along. Just uh, be on the wing, spotting up, hitting threes. I agree, but who needs that when you can go be a Minnesota tough guy? You know, rough for the home state. I uh, started doing the uh, next year depth charts, which are basically impossible. Yeah, useless. Basically, you 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 have to either pick a all seniors are coming back, except for obviously like the very top NBA draft types, or none are coming back. So I'm going with the all are coming back. Um, and so some of these rosters just look absolutely absurd right now. Um, Minnesota's is not one of them. No. Minnesota right now, you're thinking it's going to be like Tiam, Carrington, Battle, Fox, and Trey and Thompson. I mean, they're for sure getting a guard in the portal. If not multiple, but I mean, I'm telling you, man, every one of these teams that you look at, they need something from the portal. And something's got to give. The uh, portal's going to give away. That's true. We need a lot of these fifth-year guys to come back in order to spread the love appropriately. It will be very interesting to see if we uh, we get a good, good number of fifth-year guys back or not. So, I know someone was saying that it might have been Jeff Goodman that like he's already hearing that like mid-major guys are tr- trying to call coaches and like every mid-major player is going to transfer and whatnot. But of course. Know. All right, folks, we will wrap it up here. Uh, See we'll see you all next week. Hopefully I will have gotten more than three hours of sleep for next week's podcast. So I will be a little bit more uh, lively for you. But we we give you the content. We're 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 grinders here. So all right folks, we uh catch you all next week. <laughs>